When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of If You Don't Like That. My series continues on giving thanks during this holiday season. But first, I want to tell you that we are brought to you by... New Works Plumbing of Sacramento, locally owned for over 20 years, New Works has a fix for you. For your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. And remember, if you have an emergency in the middle of the night, New Works will be there with their 24-7 service. Again, for your plumbing needs and repairs, check out New Works Plumbing, newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com, New Works Plumbing They've got a fix for you. Very often, it will only take one individual to make your dream come true when you're talking about your career. Now, in my previous episodes, I've talked about a, a few people that have had a profound impact on my career. And then in the last podcast, I said that I ran into someone recently at an airport uh, a couple, and they were talking about my show and my doing the games, and uh, they were big fans, and we had a nice chat. And then they asked me what was, uh, you know, my favorite moment of announcing the Kings. But I have so many other moments that have nothing to do with the Kings, and I shared some of those on my last podcast. I've been very blessed to not only have done the NBA for 32 years, but my real dream when I was coming out of college was to announce national hockey league games and when i look back on my career and i look back at some of the highlights well announcing the national hockey league for a couple of games is right near the top of the list so it was back in the uh mid 90s 1994 95 matter of fact 94 i had gone to games three four five six and seven of the stanley cup finals between the rangers and the uh, canucks and I knew the Vancouver Canucks and New York Rangers rosters uh, inside out. And little did I know that when I was watching the Stanley Cup Finals in 94 in person, that a couple of months later, I'd actually be announcing a Vancouver Canucks hockey game. I went to the Shark Tank on a weekend, on an off night, and I was able to sit in a vacant press box area and announce a hockey game into a cassette recorder. And the reason why I did this was because back during that period of time, I wasn't so sure that I was going to be staying in Sacramento for most of my life. I was looking at other opportunities, and one of those opportunities was someday announcing hockey because I loved hockey so much. And I talk about the story of when the Arco Arena had some preseason hockey games and the Montreal Canadiens were playing the San Jose Sharks. And I went to watch the uh, skate around, and I was standing uh, next to the great Dick Irvin, and he is the legendary, or was the legendary voice 
of the Montreal Canadiens. And he started asking me some questions. And long story short, that night, I ended up working alongside him on the Montreal Canadiens radio network. I mean, think about that. I go to watch a skate around the Sharks and the Canadiens, all right? And hours later, I'm on the air on the Montreal Canadiens network with a legendary, legendary, legendary hockey announcer. I mean, you know, Dick Irvin is a household name, the late Dick Irvin, all right, when it comes to hockey in Canada. Legendary. And he said, I don't want you to, you know, commentate on actually what's going on in the game, like X's and O's. I I want you for, you know, color. I want you to tell me about what's going on in San Jose with the Sharks and their players. And I said, no problem. But anyway, that, that was a big thrill. But in the 94... Uh, 95 years, all right? 1994, Rangers beat the Vancouver Canucks in seven. And then later that fall, uh, I end up going to the tank and I announce a hockey game. And I end up sending my tape out to a couple of different people, including the director of broadcasting for the San Jose Sharks. His name is Mark Stolberger, who I'm still in touch with today. He and I check in on occasion. He now lives in Houston. But um, my phone rang one day, and I didn't recognize the number. I don't even know if the numbers popped up then. I, I can't even remember. But the point is, I answered my phone. And he goes, is this Grant? And I said, yes. He goes, Stolberger here. And I'm like, oh, how are you? He said, I'm great. He goes, listen. He goes, you're a hell of a hockey announcer. I said, oh, thank you very much. He goes, I just listened to your tape, and you're really, really good. And he said, you know Randy Hahn? I said, yeah, of course. Randy is still the television voice of the Sharks, does a fabulous job. He said, listen, Randy is going on maternity leave, and I don't know how long he's going to be gone for, uh, but I need someone to fill in for him. Uh, Are you interested? And I said, yes. And that was it. And I ended up doing some Sharks games. And guess who my first game was against? The Vancouver Canucks in San Jose. And the reason why that is so important is because I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for that game. And I knew probably 80% of the Canucks roster like the back of my hand. I knew about them and I knew their numbers and uh, there were were so many things that I knew about the Vancouver Canucks. I already knew a lot about the Sharks because I used to watch them, you know, quite a bit because obviously they were in my backyard. So I ended up doing the games with Pete Stemkowski. Stemmer was uh, one of my favorite Rangers growing up, and I could not believe that I was in the booth with a guy that I watched uh, in the 70s play for the New York Rangers, uh, Pete Stemkowski. So Stemmer and I are in the booth. Now, this is TV. Obviously, it's not radio, but I gave Mark Stolberger a radio uh, play-by-play tape. But I end up in the booth with Pete Pete Stemkowski for the Sharks and the Canucks. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. So number five on the Canucks, I still remember the jersey number, was uh, Dana Merzen. That's right, Dana Merzen, M-U-R-Y-Z-N, Dana Merzen. So Stolberger had a, a tendency to get a little hyper, all right? And he was not afraid to scream at his talent. And so I'm in the middle of announcing the game, all right? And all of a sudden, I hear Stolberger go, it is Merzen. He's talking about to Pete Stemkowski. Pete, 
It is effing Merzen. M-U-R-Y-Z-N. Merzen, not Merza. Now, I was getting it right, but Pete Stemkowski was not. And I can never forget, I'm announcing a game, and he is screaming, screaming at Pete Stemkowski and spelling the name as I'm announcing the game. And the other great thing about doing my first game on TV at uh, the Shark Tank was back then, they don't do it anymore, but the broadcast location for TV had to be the best in the league. It was spectacular. It was right at the end of, or I should say right at the beginning of the second level. They had an area cut out where you could do the games. And that's where we did the the games on uh, TV from. And it was incredible. Then my second game was down in L.A. at the Great Western Forum. And guess who's playing in that game? Wayne Gretzky. And I'm going, wow. I'm announcing a hockey game with the great one. Yari Curry was on that team and McSorley and the L.A. Kings with Wayne Gretzky. And that today, or to this day, is still a thrill of mine that I was able to announce a National Hockey League game with uh, the L.A. Kings and Wayne Gretzky. And I think I only did three games uh, before Randy came back from being with his wife and the birth of their child. But those three games were uh, maybe my three favorite games that I've ever done. And to be able to check that box. And I would have left the NBA in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat to go do hockey. Hockey was always my number one love. It was always my uh, passion. It was always the game and the sport that I enjoyed broadcasting the most. And I, I'm so ever grateful and thankful to have Mark Stolberger like my work, call me. And so I always give thanks to Mark Stolberger for living that dream. Then the other part that I always wanted to do was the National Football League. And uh, Artie Gigantino was working for the Raiders and was uh, a media member. And I used to have Artie on my radio show once a week. And I loved Artie. Artie knew everything that was going on, was very well connected, uh, was a former NFL coach. So he was in the know, knew a lot of people. And I got to be very uh, friendly with Artie Gigantino. Well, the Raiders for a period of time during the preseason had the worst freaking announcers in the history of sport. All right. And one year, and I think it was the year preceding me, they had Jim Gray do the game. I have never heard a worse job by anyone anywhere. All right. Announce a National Football League game. Jim was horrible. It was embarrassing. It was actually embarrassing. I actually felt bad for the guy. Now, I have known Jim for, I don't know, 25 years. And I will tell you that uh, Jim is the best sports interviewer that I've ever been around, okay? I know a lot of people don't like Jim, and I, I get that. But in terms of being an interview, all right, do, conducting an interview, Jim Gray is right up there at the very, very top. I mean, he's in the Barbara Walters, Larry King category for, you know, all-time great interviewers. And Jim knows more people than maybe any person walking on the earth right now. And I'm not kidding you. Jim knew everybody, anyone. Jim Jim could get a hold of anyone anytime he wanted. And he was very, very, very good friends with Al Davis. And to this day, he's very tight with Mark Davis. I think I just read recently where he's like an advisor for the Raiders. I don't know why that would be, but whatever. But Jim was the worst 
play-by-play person I had ever heard. And he had never done play-by-play. It was obvious. But Al, being Al, let Jim do it. And it was an embarrassment for the franchise. And I will say this about Jim, and I don't care if he hears it and doesn't like it. I've never worked with a least, all right, or a less talented individual than Jim Gray. And, and, And understand where I'm coming from. If I had to have an interview conducted, I would choose Jim Gray over anyone else. Wouldn't even think twice about it. But I have never worked to this day with anyone less talented in front of a camera and a microphone than Jim Gray. The first year I did the Raiders, all right, I had Jim Gray as the host. And I worked with Jim Plunkett and Artie Gigantino. And we would record an open where Jim as the host would do a scene, uh, you know, a scene set, the stadium. They'd go to him on the field. Uh, He would talk for 30 or 45 seconds or so and then throw it up to the booth, okay? Now, we're all different, but most professionals can do that in no more than two takes. Most professionals will be able to do it in one take. Some will take two takes. In a rare occasion, all right, three takes. I am not exaggerating when I say this. Every game that we did, it took Jim 30 to 45 minutes to get it right before he threw it up into the booth. I mean, it was embarrassing. The guy couldn't do it. He couldn't ad lib to save his life. You know, you do a scene shot or scene set. You know, there's the uh, Oakland Coliseum where tonight it's the Raiders and the Seahawks and NFL preseason football. And we welcome you on to the field. I'm so-and-so and, you know, we've got this and we've got that. Blah, 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 blah. And now uh, to the gentleman calling the game, we go to Grant Napier, Jim Plunkett, and Artie Gigantino. I mean, it's not hard. It's not hard. It, it would take Jim six, seven, eight takes. I mean, it was awful. Absolutely terrible. Anytime Jim was on camera with a microphone that was not an interview, it was disastersville. If he was getting ready to interview someone, it was must-see TV. I have never worked with a less talented person in all my years of doing sports, no matter if it was the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, ESPN Radio, you know, I can go on and on, than Jim Gray. I, I, it, it, it was mind-boggling to me. Matter of fact, I would be in amazement that that was Jim Gray. I'm like, I'd be, I'll never forget the first time I did a game with him. I'm like, wow, Jim can't even do a, can't even do an open. Jim can't even like do 30 to 40 seconds of ad-libbing. I just still to this day uh, could not believe that. But anyway, I do the games, and I did the games, I believe, for five years. And I love doing the games, even though preseason football is terrible. But it was, for me, you know, a big thrill. Got to do a game down in Dallas at the old uh, Texas Stadium in Irving. You know, did road games every year in Seattle. But I think maybe the best memory that I ever had was the first time I did a game at Candlestick Park. And I'll never forget the day. And I get to the stadium very, very early. I think I was there four hours early, especially not knowing traffic and everything. And the game started at 7 o'clock. And I want to believe that I got to the stadium 3 o'clock, maybe 3.30. And I'll never forget parking my car in the media lot and walking in the Candlestick Park from what I guess would be the east entrance, okay? And I walk through the stadium and I end up 
on the side of the field opposite the press box. And I walk across Candlestick Park in the field. And I thought about the first time I was ever there, which was the day after I was on TV for the first time doing the California Bowl, Bowling Green and Fresno State. And I've talked about that on a previous podcast. And because the fog was so bad in the Valley that day, uh, on Sunday, I, my flight was canceled. And I had to fly out of San Francisco. And they rebooked me on a red eye out of San Francisco. And I'll never forget getting in a car and driving through San Jose and getting out of the fog. And the first thing that just will always stick in my mind was how green everything was. Because where I grew up on Long Island and worked in the Midwest, you didn't have green in the wintertime. Everything was dark and gray. And, you know, boy, I'll never forget driving through San Jose. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it was so beautiful. You know, it was one of those days where the temperature was in the 60s. And so I drove over the Bay Bridge followed the signs to the Golden Gate Bridge. I drove across the Golden Gate Bridge, and it was just one of those beautiful, beautiful Sundays. There were sailboats everywhere, and I I was like, I couldn't believe it. And then I found that road above the Golden Gate Bridge, which I still think is the prettiest, most uh, picturesque drive anywhere in the world that I've been. And uh, I'll never forget it. I will never, ever forget that drive that day. And as it turned out, that night, the 49ers were playing the Atlanta Falcons. Steve Bartkowski, Joe Montana, right? William Andrews, the running back of, you know, the Falcons. And so I went to Candlestick Park, parked the car in the parking lot, got out, and I'm walking around. I'm like, gee, and I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't make a lot of money, and I didn't have a lot of money, even though I'd sold or not. Well, that was the different trip. I was going to save my Super Bowl ticket, but that was a, a few years later. But I, back then I was making, I'm not exaggerating, I was making you know, less than 10000 a year. I, I did not have, you know, a lot of money. Uh, I was probably not even making anything close to 10000 a year now that I think about it. But the point is I didn't have a lot of money. But I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to see what it would cost for me to get into the stick. And I'm not, not exaggerating. Uh, a man walks up to me and says, hey, are you looking for a ticket? I said, yeah. I said, how much is it? He goes, you know what? He goes, you can take it. He goes, the person that was supposed to come with me can't make it in. Uh, you know, you can have it. And I was just couldn't believe it. And I end up... The, the ticket was like on the 50-yard line, great seats. And I ended up telling the uh, man next to me about my story. And he and I, and I just said, I go, hey, I can't begin to tell you uh, how great it is that I'm sitting here for the first time. And he, he was really blown away at my story. And he was very thankful to give me the ticket. So I get into Candlestick Park for free, watch the Niners and the Falcons, drive to the airport, and fly back to Bowling Green. All right? And that whole... Sunday, the drive, going to the game, seeing Joe Montana play, see Steve Bartkowski play. You know, I can go on and on. Like I, that, that was like a wow moment for me. Like that was a wow, wow moment that I'm at Candlestick Park. So anyway, fast forward to me doing my first game of the Niners and the Raiders, and I walk across that field. And as I'm walking across that field, I, I thought of the first time I was ever in Candlestick Park. I thought about standing on the sideline uh, with Danny Ainge. And all the times that I was um, on the sideline working for Channel 31, standing in the end zone when Matt Barr kicked a game-winning field goal in the championship with me just to the left of the goalpost. You know, I was thinking about all of those moments. And again, there wasn't a soul in the stick right then. It was quiet. You could hear the seagulls. I mean, you could. it was windy. You could hear the, uh, the, the, the flagpole and the cable 
banging against the pole. I mean, it was just like, wow. And I walked across that field at the stick and just reminisced and thought about all of the great things that I witnessed in that ballpark, including Dave Dravecki. And I can go on and on, but most of my memories involved the New York Giants and being in there for so many epic games on Monday night in the playoffs. And then, of course, my first time uh, seeing the 49ers in person. And I look back at that period of time of doing the Raiders during the preseason and working with Jim Plunkett and Artie. Uh, But Jim was one of the nicest and is one of the nicest guys that I've ever met. I mean, he was so down to earth. He was such an uh, incredible person. I consider him a friend, and I, I, I love love being around Jim Plunkett. But also, that uh, enabled me uh, to be in, you know, with Al Davis. And the first time I ever met Al Davis, I've told this story before. You know, Bruce Allen walked me over to the middle of the practice field in Napa, uh, and I, I met Al, and at the end of a, a quick chat, he said to me, you know what the most important thing is, right? I said, no, sir. He said, you always have to salute the flag. Do you know what that means? I said, oh, yes, absolutely. He goes, remember, Grant, you have to salute the flag. I said, yes, sir. He goes, okay, it was good talking to you. You know, I'll see you at the game. And Bruce Allen walks me back to the other side of the field, and he said, do you know what Al means by saluting the flag? I said, I have no idea. What he means is that at the end of the game, you're going to be the last thing that the fans see and leave on a positive note. I'm like, oh, okay, I got it, no problem. So the first game I do is in Dallas at Irving Stadium, and the Raiders get blown out. I want to say the score was something like 52 to 17. All right, I haven't looked it up, so I'm just approximating, but it was a blowout. So the game ends, and I go, uh, we'll be right back, and we'll wrap it up here, the post-game show on the Raiders television network. We go to commercial, and I turn to Plunk. I go, hey, Plunk, I'm going to let you salute the flag on this one. He goes, oh, hell no. I go, come on, Plunk. Come on, You, you can say whatever you want. You got two rings. You're Mr. Raider. I go, he goes, don't worry, I got you. So uh, I come back and I go, we welcome you back. Uh, tough first game for the Raiders as they lose 52 to 17. Plunk? I didn't even, I go, Plunk? And he said, well, Grant, you know, uh, I, I did see some positives on the first couple of series from this and that and blah, 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 blah. I mean, they got destroyed. You know what I mean? But I'm letting Plunk salute the flag. And then Artie, you know, said a couple of positive things. And then, you know, I wrapped it up and threw it to break. And I'm like, boy, thank goodness I didn't have to salute the flag there because I don't know what the hell I would have said. But being around Al Davis was incredible. And, you know, listen, Al was a, a legendary figure. That's what Al Davis was. He was a legendary figure. And there are very few times that I've been nervous meeting someone. I was extremely nervous in meeting Al Davis when Bruce Allen walked me over and introduced me to him. And Al was in charge of everything. Al did it all, all right? Nothing happened in that organization without Al Davis's okay. And I'll never forget, we're in Houston. And I don't know if it was that year, the following year, whatever year Randy Moss was on the Raiders. And the we get to uh, Houston on a Friday. The game is on a Saturday. And I'm coming back from lunch. And someone runs into me. It might have even have been Jim Gray in the lobby. He goes, hey, Al is looking for you. I go, what? He goes, Mr. Davis is looking for you. He wants you to call him. I'm like, wow. So I go up to my room and I call Mr. Davis. He answers the phone. I go, Mr. Davis, this is Grant Napier. He goes, Grant, how are you today? I go, I'm fine, Mr. Davis. How are you? He goes, I'm very well. 
He goes, listen, did you uh, see the HBO story on Randy Moss? I said, yes, actually, I did. Well, Randy admitted to smoking pot on this on HBO Real Sports. He said, Grant, this is what you're going to say about that. You understand? You writing this down? I said, yes, sir. He goes, you're going to come on. You're going to say this. And then you're not going to talk about it the rest of the game. Do you understand? He goes, this is what you're going to say. And I had a pen and a paper, and I wrote it down. You know how sometimes people go, are you writing this down? And you go, yes, but you're not. I was writing it down. Mr. Davis tells me what I'm going to say. And then he goes, all right, Grant, read back to me what you're going to say. And I had written it down word for word. And he said, perfect. And he goes, Grant, after you read that, you're not talking about Randy Moss, the rest of the telecast. Do you understand? I said, yes, sir. He goes, okay, we'll see you at the game. Nothing ever got by Al Davis. He was in charge of everything. And I was in meetings with Al that I had no business being in. I'll always tell the story, ending up in the conference room with Al Davis, with, you know, Jim Plunkett, with Tom Flores, with George Atkinson, Greg Papa, Artie, and me. All right? And Al, we're at a long conference room. And we're at this big conference table at the facility in Alameda. And Al starts asking Tom Flores if Charles Woodson, he feels, can play safety. And Al gives the answer. He goes, Plunk, what do you think about that? Goes to Artie. Goes to Greg. All right, now he goes to me. But he goes, "Uh, Grant, I've got a question for you. Well, that week, Larry Kruger had just been fired from KMBR for talking about Felipe Alou in a condescending manner. All right. Again, it was cancel culture. Larry got raked over the coals for it, but that's what happened. All right. He was the manager of the Giants. Larry made a comment regarding his heritage, and Al asked me what I thought of that. And I, I gave Al, you know, a, about a 30-second answer, and he, said, he, he didn't say anything for like three or four seconds. He goes, Grant, I like that response. I said, thank you, sir. But I found myself in the presence of Al Davis where I should not have been in that situation. One was the conference room that day. I'm like, what the hell am I doing in there? Seriously, like, you know, why am I in that conference room? You know, but I'm but I was fascinated, fascinated to be in the presence of Al Davis and listen to him, you know, run his team. Fascinated. And the phone call I had with him at the hotel in Houston, I got an inside kind of look behind the curtain, so to speak, of how Al Davis ran the Raiders. And they listen, they believed in brainwashing the media. They used to brainwash us before every game. You know, we had to read the, you know, team of the decades nonsense. And, you know, I, and I thought that was awful. I, and I told Plunk, I go, Plunk, you know, why do we keep promoting this? You know, the last time the Raiders were good, you played, you know? And he laughed. He goes, I know. He goes, I, 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 I'll, I'll never forget it. You know, and Plunk agreed with me. He goes, but you just got to do it. I said, I know I have to do it. But I go, you know, the Raiders are good now. And they were good. They had Rich Gannon. They had, you know, and I, I believe they had just been in the AFC championship game in the Super Bowl a year or two prior, right? I mean, they were, they were pretty good. 
But oh no, we had to talk about the team of the decades. And, you know, we had to talk about Jim Otto and we had to talk about, you know, Daryl LaMonica and Kenny Stabler. And, you know, we had to talk about Marcus Al. You know what I mean? All the players on there. I don't, I don't know about specifically, but the point was it was the team of the decades and, you know, commitment to excellence. And I'm going plunk. Commitment to excellence. They haven't won a Super Bowl since you played in the early 80s. You know, when are they going to turn the count? You know, but anyway, whatever. And Plunk was great because I could talk to Plunk and I could tell Plunk how I felt. And Plunk told me a lot of things that he felt too. And but yet he could never say on the air. I had a, I had a it's same thing with George Atkinson. You know, George was in the booth with us one year or two years, and I love George. I got along with George phenomenal. George would always make me laugh. Every time I was around George, we'd be laughing. And George did a lot of arena football games with me and the San Jose Sabercats. And it was just a, a real treat to be around those guys, to be around George Atkinson and be around Jim Plunkett and Tom Flores. And, you know, I look back at that period of my time, and I'm grateful, I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, Artie pulled for me to do the games with the Raiders for a number of years. And then I got a call one uh, day. I was actually playing golf at Yochidihi in uh, Cash Creek. I remember where I was, and I got a call, and they were telling me that um, they weren't going to use me anymore because they were going to simulcast, which, you know, it's the stupidest thing in the world, but that's very Raider-like. Let's simulcast the preseason games, meaning that Greg would do both the radio and the TV. And, you know, again trying to save money, trying to, it was stupid, but that's what they did, and I was done. But at least I got a chance to do that. I think it was for five years. I look back on it and loved every moment of it. It was a great experience for me. So, yes, folks, I have had many experiences that have nothing to do with the Sacramento Kings in my broadcast career that I reflect back on, and I'm grateful and I'm thankful that I had that opportunity. It's now time for our CrowdUltra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe... I'll answer your question on my next podcast. We begin with Jeff. He asked, is Kyle Shanahan overcoached? Did he look like he overcoached in the uh, Eagles game or the Cowboys game? You know, the biggest mistake that he made in his life was when he was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. But listen, the I, I think the 49ers are the best team in football. Dominic follows that up. Did the 49ers just show they're the best team in football? Yes, they did, but they don't hand out trophies in December, and injuries factor into it. Right now, everyone's healthy on the 49ers, and it makes a big difference when you have Trent Williams on the field, when you have Debo Samuel on the field, right? And adding Chase Young has made that defense so much better because now you have both he and Bosa rushing a quarterback. I mean, they are the best team in football, but it's December. Nick follows up. Who do you think wins the AFC? You know, Nick, there's not one of those teams right now that I look at in the AFC and call a super team. I love the way Baltimore plays defense. I'm not sold on Lamar Jackson in the postseason based on what I've seen in the past. You know, Kansas City looks very vulnerable this year, right? We've, we saw that again uh, in their last game. Baltimore might be, Nick, the best team in the AFC. So if you're asking me right now, I'm going to pick Baltimore to play San Francisco. Neil Jones says, will Brock Purdy be this year's MVP? Neil, he probably won't, but he could very well be. And I think that the label that he has of being the last player taken in the draft works against him when it shouldn't have anything to do with it. I mean, if Brock Purdy had been taken third instead of Trey Lance, every single person in the media would be raving about how great this guy is and that he's this and he's that. And uh, I still think he's one of the top quarterbacks in football, Neil, but I don't think he's going to win the MVP, but he should be in the conversation. Zach wants to know what happens to Josh Giddy. Zach, you got to wait for the investigation uh, and everything to play out. I can't answer that question. I really can't. 
uh, you'll know when I know. That's about all I can say to that. Just go to crowdultra.com and maybe I'll answer your question on my next podcast. It's time for Rant. 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 And today's rant is brought to you by Bennett's Restaurants, three locations, Sacramento, Roseville, and their newest location at the Blue Oaks Town Center in Rockland. Prime seafood and steak at Bennett's. Just go to bennettsrestaurants.com and make a reservation. Check out the menu and more. That's bennettsrestaurants.com. Listen, I don't care how good you are offensively. If you're a bad defensive team, you're going to be very limited in how far you can go. And I'm talking about the Sacramento Kings allowing 127 points last night and for the third time this year, losing to New Orleans. And it's not only allowing the total number of points. I mean, how about the points on this homestand? Allowing 72 points to the Warriors. They came back and were lucky to win that game. Allowing 72 points the next night to the Clippers, losing that game. Last night, allowing 69 points in the first half. You know, that is not a recipe for success. And when you don't make threes, like last night, when the Kings did not make threes, well, you're not going to win games because you don't have anything else you can fall back on. So say goodbye to the NBA in-season tournament. The Kings are no longer a part of that. They don't get to move on to Vegas, and they now have a lot of time to figure out how to stop some teams. They have not been able to do that. Same story as last year. All right? Very good offense, very bad defense. Now, I do think their defense is a little bit better than last year, but it's not good enough to get you to the promised land. Still a big concern for Sacramento. And last night it was on full display as the Pelicans torched Sacramento for 127 points. And that's my rant for today. That's my podcast. Hope you have a great week. And thank you so much for joining me right here on If You Don't Like That. So long, everybody. everybody.